following resource is from Welford Baptist Church. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Hope you had a good uh, weekend thus far and uh, a wonderful, blessed Thanksgiving. Anybody in here still full? Oh, I am, I tell you. Morning, everybody up there. And my wife is up there, and she's always been a few steps higher than I have on the, on the ladder, so I don't doubt that. All right. Well, uh, appreciate the family coming up to begin our uh, Christmas season and reading about the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he did a great job. The sanctuary looks absolutely beautiful. I love the Chrismon tree, don't you? It's just full of symbols of the last 2,000 years about the Lord Jesus Christ. So maybe a good thing to Google this afternoon, you know, just to look at all the symbols that are up there. And, and every one of them represents the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, this morning... Uh, not so much preaching on hope. I guess we could apply hope to it. I want to continue uh, through our study of the book of Philippians, this great little book, a book of joy, uh, a book that just uh, is full of pastoral love, the love that Paul had for this little church in the city of Philippi. It's not a book, it's not a letter that's full of doctrine or anything like that. It's not heavy. But we come to a little portion today in uh, Philippians chapter 4, and Paul mentions it, then he goes on. But it's a very important matter that we need to look at today, all right, because the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ is through his death and resurrection. By faith in him, we have forgiveness of our sins. We have a home in heaven. We live that faith out uh, through our lives and our faith and trust in him and in our relationship with others. And when we talk about relationship with others, uh, even the Ten Commandments, six out of the Ten Commandments had to deal with you and I relating to one another. And so we're going to look at that this morning, too, because it's important to God's heart. I read a little story one time. It took place in Canada, uh, and it was dead of winter, and it was cold. It was way below freezing, and all the animals were just got into their dens and lairs and all those kind of things huddled up. And two porcupines, they didn't have anybody. So they came together, and they said, hey, let's get together. Let's, let's lay next to each other and get our bodies warm. Let's stay warm that way. Two porcupines. Well, they got together, and it wasn't long before they started sticking each other and irritating one another. And so they said, this isn't working. So they, they parted. But they were so cold, they came back together. Same thing, sticking one another, irritating one another. Uh, uncomfortable with one another. So they parted again, and they tried that several times, and they, they, they just never made it work. They needed each other, but they kept on needling each other. Paul writes in Philippians 4. Now, if you're ever going, it would be a great honor to have your name mentioned in the Bible, wouldn't it? But maybe not this way, all right? Philippians 4, the first five verses. Paul is writing, he's a prisoner in Rome, but he's writing this letter out of joy and love to his uh, 
uh, fellow Christians in Philippi. And he says, so then, my brothers and sisters, dear friends whom I long to see, you are my joy. You are my crown. Stand in the Lord in this way, my dear friends, as he just shared in chapter 3, as he was his, his, his faith. And then he says, I appeal to Eudiah and to Syncathy to agree in the Lord. So evidently, here's two porcupines, all right? They're in the church in Philippi. We don't know the reason why they were needling each other. But he says this, Yes, I say also to you, true companion, the one who's taken the letter to them, when you get there, help them. They have struggled together in the gospel ministry along with me and Clement and my other co-workers whose names are in the book of life. So they've done great work. They have, have ministered. They have helped this little church get started. and They are active in it, okay? But something happened. Something happened in their relationship. I don't know if they're not speaking to each other. They just shared things uh, sort of ugly about each other. I don't know. But evidently it spilled over into the church and now others were sort of joining sides, picking which side they're going to be on, okay? They're getting involved in it. But he says, help them. And then he says this in verse 4, and he goes right into it. Instead of this kind of thing, tell them, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let everyone see, not your mean spirit, not your, your needling let your gentleness be near. Let your gentleness be known. The Lord is near. So let's go on to this, okay? Let's, let's talk about relationships for just a moment here, okay? And talking about these two ladies, you'll die in sympathy. Even today, sometimes Christians are like that. Would you agree? We profess to need each other, and we do. We need one another in order for, for Welford to be a vital, living, active church that's glorifying God and the blessing to this community. Sometimes we sort of look in and we get on each other's nerves. Why? What is it that causes Christ's church to behave at times like a, a street gang member rather than the spotless holy bride of Jesus Christ? How is it that grown adults, much less Christians, can split a church right down the middle over the most petty issue? Do you think that's what Christ envisioned the church to be? No, far from it, isn't it? So what do we do? What's our model? What's our pattern here? Well, of course, in every aspect of our lives, the pattern and the model is the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? And let's, let me take you to his life here for just a few moments. Let's go to his last earthly night, that Thursday night that he met with his disciples. They observed Passover, then he changed Passover for all eternity into communion, the Lord's Supper. Will we do that in remembrance of him? And after that supper, he and Peter, James, and John went to the Garden of Gethsemane. That was a favorite place of Jesus Christ. It was a place of retreat for him. It was located just outside the eastern gate of the old city of Jerusalem, the old gate that I spoke of and read from in Psalm 24 and Psalm 100 last week on Thanksgiving, okay? 
Jesus went to this garden to pray to his Father in heaven. The cross was right before him. His, his, his arrest, his trial, his beating, his scourging, and then being nailed to a cross. He knew what was ahead of him. He knew he was scheduled for crucifixion the next day. And he wanted to discuss with God the possibility of canceling that, okay? That human part of Jesus Christ was afraid. Well, who wouldn't be? He asked three times for God to call off the cross. Let's cancel this thing. Let's do it another way. Three times God refused his request. And each time that Jesus prayed and he asked that request, he ended it by saying, But Father, it's not my will. I want your will to be done. And so after three pleas, he accepted the sentence of death. So he got up and walked through the garden, and then almost immediately he was arrested by a group of soldiers who were tipped off on where he would be that evening. They were tipped off by one of Jesus' closest friends, one of his 12 disciples. You know his name, right? Judas, all right? They had been together for more than three years. And the actual betrayal, if you remember, was an especially heinous act. Judas identified Jesus to the soldiers by coming up to him and kissing him, betrayed with a kiss. And yet Jesus responded to Judas by calling him friend. So after an awful night of illegal trials and in a religious court, the Roman governor sentenced Jesus to be crucified. So the soldiers were assigned to scourge him and to beat him and to whip him, to mock and ridicule him. And then they took him to the, to the mount, Golgotha, Calvary. And there they, they took spikes and drove them through his wrist and his feet. And then they lifted up his cross and dropped it into a hole in the ground for it to stand upright and for all of the Jerusalem to see. And while the man, men being executed with Jesus, one on his right and one on his left, I can imagine they were cursing the Roman soldiers, their executioners. Do you remember what Jesus did? He looked at him and said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they're doing. They don't know who they're dealing with. I'd have to say Jesus was amazing. Would you agree with me on that? Absolutely. His friend betrayed him. Soldiers crucified him. And yet he tried to maintain good relationships with all of them, so to speak. I think Jesus had an amazingly healthy attitude toward relationships. And that being said, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you and I can too. Let's go back to Philippians chapter 2, the first five verses. I've already preached on this, but this is what Paul said. Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort provided by love, any fellowship in the Spirit, any affection or mercy, complete my joy, Paul writes, and be of the same mind by having the same love, being united in spirit and having one purpose. Instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity, pride, 
Each of you should, in humility, be moved to treat one another as more important than yourselves. Each of you should be concerned not only about your own interest, but about the interest of others as well. And then he says this. He said, all these things is things we should be doing as a Christian. But he said, above all, you should have the same attitude toward one another that Jesus had. We should have the same attitude that Jesus now, some people I've run across had no idea what a healthy, healthy relational attitude looks like. All of their lives, they've been surrounded by unhealthy attitudes for so long, they begin to think, that's normal. That's how you, how you feel about other people in relationships. They're easily offended. They're angry. They're unforgiving. They're upset. And more often than not, they're self-centered. It's all about them. Healthy attitudes toward relationships seem strange to some of us, you know. And to adopt the attitude of Jesus may, be appear, may appear to be just about impossible. But it's not. So for you and I today, here's the goal that I want to set for, for us, okay. The Bible says it. Paul wrote it. Our attitude should be the same as who? Jesus Christ. Let's look at what Paul describes. I think his attitude looked like. He's writing to Christians, but I think he's telling Christians, this is what Jesus did. You need to do the same. You find that in Romans 12, 9 through 21, a little lengthy passage of Scripture, but we need to read it, so please listen. Then he, says, he writes this, Love must be without hypocrisy. Other versions say love must be sincere. I like both of them. Probably go with sincere a little more. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another with mutual love. Show an eagerness in honoring one another. Be eager to honor each other, okay? Do not lag in zeal. Be enthusiastic in spirit. Serve the Lord Jesus. Rejoice in hope. Endure in suffering. Persist in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints, of fellow Christians. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty. Don't be prideful, but associate with, with the lowly, others less fortunate. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Consider what is good before all people. And here's, the, here's some good advice. As far as it depends on you, as far as it depends on me, live peaceably with all people. As far as it depends on us, do your best to get along with everybody. Do not avenge yourselves, dear friends, but give place to God's wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing this, you will be heaping burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome the evil with good. So here's some points, four of them real quickly, okay? that we can apply to our lives to, to do this, to have the attitude of Jesus. Number one, reality. We need to be realistic about relationships. A healthy attitude toward relationships begins with a reality. 
First thing I got to say is every one of us are sinners. Amen. Every one of us, we have all sinned. We were born into sin. We all have different opinions. We all approach relationships differently. Many of us, we don't know how to handle criticism. Our feelings get hurt. We get angry. We don't know how to deal with dysfunctional family members or workers. We don't know how to respond to people who may be different than we are. Strained relationships, they're a common human experience. You don't have to look far to find one, you know. I read a story about a man, his dad died, his father died. And he had been estranged from his father for more than 10 years. He was the only child that that, uh, his dad had. And so the will stated that this one and only child was to sell the family home and close out his father's estate. And one thing that the father wrote in his will, his desire was for his former wife, his ex-wife, to receive half of his small estate. So the son called his stepmother, who was divorced from his dad, but she refused to talk to the son. He traveled across the country. He drove to her home. He knocked on the door to give her the money, but she refused to come to the door. She wouldn't have any contact with him, not even to receive her part of her ex-husband's inheritance. You know, there's, there's not been hardly anybody that I wouldn't at least speak to in my life, okay? So it's hard for me to understand her behavior, but I understand having been a pastor for all these years, the reality of strange relationships like that. You may know the list better than I do. Former spouses who won't be civil to one, to one another long after the divorce is settled. Partners who argue over every detail of their business. Siblings who can't sit next to each other without calling each other names, and they're both in their 90s. And then church members who have a disagreement, and it spills over into the church, and many, many more are angry. We often idealize the way relationships are supposed to work. Everybody's supposed to understand us, right? Everybody's supposed to understand why, why I'm angry, why I'm hurt. Everyone's supposed to be nice. Everyone's supposed to, to get along. Everyone is supposed to agree. And when relationships are not the way we think they ought to be, then we get hurt or we get angry or we get disappointed. A healthy relationship recognizes that, or healthy attitude recognizes that people don't always get along. That's not going to happen 100% of the time. That people don't behave and that no relationship is perfect. Sometimes bad relationships are strained because of evil intentions. But more often, I found... Bad behavior and bad relationships are because people just don't know any better and they or we or I mess up. Reality is that some people will never behave the way that we want them to behave and that we'll never have the kind of relationships with them that we would like to have. Reality is that some of life's relationships are wonderful, 
They're great. They're marvelous. And others are not. But the healthiest of relationships is to realize, and here's the biggie, I can't control the attitude. I can't control the actions of other people. But I can control my attitude, and I can control my actions. Second thing, not only must we be realistic about attitudes, but then here's love, okay? Now, guys, we're not talking about the gushy-gushy kind of love here, all right? I'm going to explain what we're talking about love, Christian love, okay? A healthy attitude will add love to reality. There's nothing more Christian and nothing more healthy than to love others regardless of the way they behave. You remember Jesus at the cross? Love, here we go, let me define it, is thinking and acting in a positive and caring manner toward the other person, regardless of their attitude, regardless of their behavior. It assumes that someone, I'm talking church here, someone should behave like a Christian. Someone in this should be the adult. Someone should do what is right and what is good. Someone should do those things. Romans 12, 9 and 10. Let me reread these two verses. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another with mutual love. Show eagerness and honor in one another. Now, the word sincere, love must be sincere, all right? Sincere means, get this, without wax. Where did that come from? Back in the day. In the Greek culture, which the Romans picked up, okay, a Greek sculptor would create a work, okay? But, oh, there's a flaw, and I've worked all, I've done all this thing, and now there's that spot, there's that blemish, there's that crack. What am I going to do? They would take wax, and they would rub that wax into the crack or the, or the defect there, okay? They would rub that wax into it. And you couldn't tell the difference. You couldn't tell it was there. It looked okay at night. It looked good in the cool weather. But outside in the heat, the wax would melt. And it would show the defect. Sincere love is the real thing. It's without wax. It looks the same even when relationships heat up or fractured. Paul says... Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Look for the good in every relationship. And when you find it, hold on to that. Love never requires us to, to like what is evil or to accept what is evil. Sort of the old saying, love the sinner, hate the sin. It's okay to, to disapprove of what is inappropriate. Paul wrote, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Decide to be commit, committed to the other person as a family member, the family member of Christ. You decide to do what you've got to do, whether they do what is right or not. And then thirdly, honor one another above yourselves. Give honor to them. That's probably the healthiest and most practical advice of all. It's very easy to get caught up in ourselves, don't you think? But Paul was saying, but instead focus on honoring the other person more than you worry about how they treat you, whether they're nice to you or not, whether they're good to you or not. 
Do you ever remember a time when you felt really healthy about yourself? Hmm? You lost a few pounds. You ran 10 miles. You ate a veggie burger instead of the half pounder with fries. Man, that felt good, didn't it? You did something healthy and you feel good about yourself. Well, try loving someone who doesn't have, who doesn't have it coming. Try honoring the other person whether they deserve it or not. It's probably our best shot at a better relationship, but even if it doesn't heal the relationship, guess what? You'll feel good about yourself. You did the right thing. You did what was right in God's eyes. Now we go to one. Forgiveness. Showing grace to others is what God wants you and I to do. But it's not always easy because we're often focused on ourselves. Why did Jesus Christ come into this world? Hmm? To die for our sins, that our sins might be forgiven, that we might have a relationship with God and go to heaven one day, right? And the ultimate way that he asked us to show Grace is to forgive and to give grace to other people by forgiving them. Paul wrote in Colossians 3.13, Make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, remember, he said, remember this. The Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. The only place I've ever found the strength to forgive is in remember how much Jesus had to forgive me. All those times I've been a stinker and still still am sometimes. When I remember that, then he gives me the strength and grace to forgive others. Let me read to you what Jesus said, how important this is. You're coming to church Sunday morning and then you remember something. Man, so-and-so ticked me off this week. If I'd been there, I'd have popped him right in the nose, you know. Jesus said, when you come to church and you bring your gift to the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, you have something against your brother or sister, leave your gift at the altar. Leave the church. Even during the service. And first, go and be reconciled to your brother or sister. And then come back and present your gift. Get up and leave church. Go take care of that relationship issue. Then you can come back and truly worship God. The best gift, the best Christmas gift that we can give to some people this year is our forgiveness. They're seeking forgiveness from them. Forgiveness is letting go of revenge. None of you have ever had revenge in your minds and hearts, have you? One hasn't. (laughs) Forgiveness is letting go of revenge. It means... I don't have to take the money back to have the relationship. I don't have to have the money back to have a relationship with that person who borrowed from me. 
It means I can let go of my attitude even when they don't ask me for forgiveness, when they've wounded me. It means I'm willing to move on even though I've been treated in a bad way. Forgiveness doesn't mean you've caved in. It doesn't mean you're a wimp. It doesn't mean you're a, 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 a wet blanket. It doesn't mean you were wrong. It doesn't mean you're weak. Forgiveness means that simply this, you've chosen to let it go. And you're no longer going to expect the other person to make everything right. You're no longer going to try to get even. You're no longer going to let this bother you. You're going to be better off. And most of all, forgiveness means that you're going to trust God to handle what you can't. Remember the verse Paul wrote in Romans? Don't take revenge but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I'll repay. I'll take care of that for you. On the contrary, God says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing so, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Burn him. You know? But that's not what he's saying. To me, it's one of the most powerful, wonderful verses, uh, and yet one of the strangest quotes in the Bible. Basically, it's telling us we have a choice in our attitudes about getting even. We can either do it ourselves or let God take care of it. And I believe that nobody in their right mind thinks they can do something better than God, don't you? Besides, why bother if God will take care of it for us? So... Just forgive them and let God worry about the consequences if they're needed. And practically, when we are forgiving and doing this, you'll heap burning coals on their heads. That's just a figure of speech, folks. It means that the person might end up feeling embarrassed and guilty because you were better to him than he was to you. When they're so wrong and perhaps... You're being so right. Now we come to the last point. Initiative. We need to initiate something here, okay? One of the biggest parts of a healthy relationship, of our healthy attitude toward relationships is taking the initiative. Don't leave good relationships up to the other person. They may never do anything about it. You be the person that's a Christian. You be the Christian. I love the way Christians treat me. I love coming in here on Sunday mornings. You know, you treat Jane and I so good, so good. I love the relationships I have with Christians, most Christians. I love all, but there's one or two I don't want to spend a week at the beach with, you know. You don't either. Some aren't so nice. But for the most part, Christians are kind and generous, forgiving, gracious, loving. And it shows the most when I'm not that way with them. Sometimes I say things I wish I hadn't. Sometimes I forget to do things I wish I had done. And Christians cut me a lot of slack. They give me the benefit of a doubt. 
I'm grateful for that. That makes me want to be the kind of person that they treat me as being. And when Christians take the initiative toward me to have a good relationship, that makes me a better person. It makes me want to take the initiative also toward other people. Any of you ever go to Aldi to shop for groceries? You know, you can, Aldi's the only place I know where you can get a decent buggy no matter what. You get a cart, okay? Reason being, you have to rent them. You walk up, you put a quarter in the slot, the pops the chain, you got a cart. When you finish shopping, you carry your groceries out to your car, you put the cart back, push it in, put that chain in the slot, and you get your quarter back. Sometimes you'll walk up and somebody's standing there with a cart, and you know what they, they say? They said to me, here, take it. And I said, well, here's a quarter. I don't want it. Give it to somebody else. So Jane and I will do our shopping. We'll come back, get our groceries out, and I'll give it to somebody else. Or just leave it there, you know, if nobody's around. And I've heard of people who... It just goes on and on and on that way. I got a free cart. You can have one too. Here, take this. It's free for you. That kind of thing. Well, that's sort of what I'm saying here. But yet, uh, it's more than that. It's, it's more than that. It's a nice idea. But it's more of a fantasy than a reality. But I'll tell you how this idea really works. It works when a Christian takes the initiative to have a good relationship with someone else, whether they deserve it or not. It's so powerful to love and to forgive someone else that perhaps by what I do, that person's life can be changed a little bit, which leads that person hopefully to take the initiative and pass it on to somebody in their lives. A healthy Christian attitude and action in relationships can become sequential, progressive, contagious. Paul ended that passage in Romans. Let me end with this. So don't be lagging in zeal. Be enthusiastic in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, endure in suffering, persist in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, pursue hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony, live in peace with one another. Don't be prideful, associate with others less fortunate than you. Don't be conceited. Do not repay anyone for evil. Consider what is good before all people. And if possible, as so far it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. In other words, our attitude should be the same as Jesus Christ. And I pray each and every one of us in here will have that attitude to the relationships in our lives. Don't ever, ever be a porcupine. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for the day, and I want to thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, it addresses every aspect of our lives. And what I preached on today is so important to you for your church, for Christians, that, God, we had to take some time just to examine that, to speak on it to learn what you would have us to do, and that is to have the same attitude as Jesus. 
Lord, if he can look down at someone nailing a spike through his hand or his wrist and his feet and say, forgive them, we can forgive others too. So, Lord, help us in that and to please you, especially one day when we stand before you. We don't want to carry that mess with us to, to our judgment. So, Lord, give us the strength. Give us the willpower. Give us what we need. Whether they respond or not, we will have done the right thing. But now, God, I want to close this prayer just thanking and praising and glorifying you for sending your son to go through what he did that our sins might be forgiven, that you would forgive us by faith and trust in him, and that we could have a home in heaven and be perfect forever and ever. Father, we thank you. We don't deserve that, but that's what mercy and grace is all about, your mercy and grace. So bless this time now, and I know you've dealt with hearts in here. And, Lord, there are some hearts today that know we need to make things right with somebody, or at least try. So, Father, help us now. Bless today in what is said and done and what is decided upon. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information about our church, visit welfarechurch.org. Blessings.